The scripture reading is Deuteronomy 5, 6, and 12 through 15. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. This is the word of the Lord. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not make any graven images, thou shalt take the day off, thou shalt take a load off, Thou shalt take five. Thou shalt take a nap. Thou shalt catch thy breath. Thou shalt unwind. Thou shalt put thy feet up. Thou shalt relax. Thou shalt cool out. Thou shalt chill. Thou shalt take it easy. Thou shalt, thou shalt lean. Is that a surprising command that God's got 10 big rules that he wants for his people. And one of those is remember the day of rest and keep it holy. That's what Sabbath means, I'm not sure why we have the tradition of not translating the word, but the word Sabbath just means rest. The Sabbath day means the rest day. Remember the rest day and keep it holy. That's the command. Is that strange that that's, uh, and, you know, that, that you know, we've been talking about Deuteronomy as a, a covenant treaty. Um, if you've been with us, if you haven't been with us, uh, in case you haven't been with us, that's a, uh, the, the form that the Ten Commandments take is very, very similar, nearly exactly similar to uh, what was called a covenant treaty in the ancient world where a, a powerful king, an emperor, you might say, would make an agreement, a treaty with a lesser king or, a, or another people to say, I'm going to rule you and I'm going to protect you and in exchange, here are the things you're going to do for me. And that's what the Ten Commandments are. They are that document. And one of the rules that this great king, the Lord God, has for his people as he's making this agreement is, you're going to take a day off once a week. That's, a, that's a, maybe a weird rule for an emperor or a suzerain to make for the people that he's going to be ruling over. I want you to take a day off every week. One of my top priorities for you. One of the ways that you are going to honor me as your king is you're going to take a day off every week and do no work. Maybe that's surprising. Um, I think it's particularly surprising, though, for us uh, it, because we don't have some of the experiences that those people would have had, the people that first heard this command. So what I want to do first 
is I want to talk about why this would actually, this is actually not necessarily a surprising command. It seems surprising to us, but it, in, the, in that ancient context, with what those people had experienced, the way that they saw the world, it would not be that surprising. It would be refreshing. It would be encouraging. Uh, but it would mean something very particular. So we're going to start by looking at that. Why is this a command that a king would make for his people? Um, you know, what does this day of rest mean? And then we're going to look at how God expects us to keep this rest. What it means for us to obey it. And then we're going to ask the question, um, where is the Sabbath? Right? It's all about when. As you think about days of the week. Um, but then the real question is, where is the Sabbath and what does that mean? So let's start with that, with uh, why this is a, a command that a king would make. So to do this, I want you to take a look here. See all those bookmarks? We're going to all those places. So if you've got a Bible uh, next to you, pick it up. Uh, if you can't uh, turn that page, I'm going to tell you the page numbers. Um, you can just listen if that's easier for you. But I, I think that it's beneficial to be able to, to look at it as well as listen to it. So first... Um, if you've been with us, you know that the Ten Commandments are, you know, they appear here in Deuteronomy 5, but they also appear in Exodus 20. And historically, what happened was, as the Israelites were coming out of Egypt, where they had been slaves, they go to Mount Sinai, and that's where God first gives them his law, first gives them this treaty. And then uh, those people who first received that, without getting into all of the whys of it, they all die. Over the course of 40 years, those people all die. And their children are now alive. And, and now God is going to give them the land uh, that he promised them. And so he restates the law. And the, these Ten Commandments, they're nearly identical in Exodus 20 and in Deuteronomy 5. But there, is, there are a couple of key differences. And this is the biggest one right here. So uh, Exodus 20, it's on page 35. Turn there. And then Deuteronomy 5 is on page 86. So look at page 35 and page 86. Okay, and you can flip back and forth like this. Okay. All right. Exodus 20, uh, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Deuteronomy 5, verse 12. Remember the Sabbath day. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Exodus 20, seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God, on it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, the sojourner, sojourner who is within your gates. Back in Deuteronomy 5. Uh, on it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your ox, your donkey, and of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. So far so good, right? So that your male servant, your female servant may rest as well as you. Okay, back to Exodus 20. For, verse 11, for, here's the reason that he gives, for in six days the Lord made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Back to Deuteronomy 5. Why? For the, no. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, 
And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commands you to keep the Sabbath day. The reason is very, very different, isn't it? The commandment is nearly identical, but then the, this com the, the reason that he gives is completely different. So he's got two reasons for the Sabbath. One is that when God created the world, uh, the, the six days that he took to do it, he rested on the seventh day. And God says, do what I did. I worked for six days and then I rested. And by the way, um, we're, one of the things we're going to see is that that seventh day when God is resting is still going on. God is still in that rest. And I think that's one of our clues and that uh, at least we in our congregation would tend to say that those six days are not six days as we experience them, but they are six days as, as God would experience them in heaven. Um, the chronology may not even be the same. Um, so this, none of this conflicts with, in our opinion, uh, none of this conflicts with what we learn from science. Um, but as God experiences those six days of work, he rests on the seventh. From his point of view, six days rests on the seventh. And, uh, and he says, because I did that, you do the same thing. But then in Deuteronomy 5, the reason he gives is, because you were slaves and I set you free and have given you rest, therefore remember the Sabbath day. Okay, what is happening there? So, if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, which we're not going to do for the sake of time, but it would be really fun to do it, um, what you'll see is he, God, uh, the, the six days are laid out and God is, is separating light from darkness and he's separating water from dry land and he's separating uh, sky from uh, earth uh, and he's creating uh, uh, living things and then uh, it comes to the end of it and he says, and on the seventh day, God rested. Uh, I think that we would be foolish if we thought that God needed a break. Uh, I think that it should be clear to us that what's happening here is not that God's like, whew, that was exhausting. Wow, all right, I need a day off. Uh, like, pretty clearly not. So what is he doing? Okay, so let me show you a couple of other passages in the Bible where this word gets used, and you'll see what I'm saying. Okay, uh, don't, don't turn there, but uh, Joshua 11.23. So Joshua is the leader that succeeds Moses. They conquer the land that God is giving to them, and then it says this. So Joshua took the whole land, this is 11.23, Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses. Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal allotments, and the land had rest from war. Um, turn, if you, if you can do it quickly, to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now when the king, 2 Samuel chapter 7, 1 and 2. Now when the king, that's David, when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. The king said to Nathan the prophet, See, I dwell in a house of cedar, and the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go and do all that is in your heart. The Lord is with you. And I went, I went to verse 3, didn't I? Uh, so David's a, a, a man of war. 
he had a lot of enemies, Israel had a lot of enemies, and David uh, conquered them, drove them out, and what it, the way that it describes that is he as the king, God gave him rest from his enemies. Uh, turn to 2 Kings 9 for another example of this. All right, that is uh, page 179. 2 Kings 9. Um, in this story, this is another king of Israel several centuries later. Uh, this king, uh, his name is Jehu, and he had not been the king. The, the king who was the king had been a very bad king, and his mother... Uh, named Jezebel, was a, uh, a, a tremendously violent uh, uh, an evil person. Um, she was responsible for a lot of bloodshed. And finally, God says to one of his prophets, enough is enough, I'm giving a new king to Israel. And he anoints this king Jehu. And Jehu had been a captain in the army. And he gathers his forces, and he starts, he goes on a rampage, um, kind of cleaning house with all of the people that had been complicit in the corruption and the violence. And as he begins to approach the city where Jezebel, this, this evil queen, is, it says this. Oh, where'd I go? I'm sorry. Oh, next page. This way. 180. Okay, so when, verse 30 of 2 Kings 9. When Jehu came to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and she painted her eyes and adorned her head and looked out of the window. And as Jehu entered the gate, she said, Is it peace, you Zimri? And Zimri was, was a, 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 it's kind of like calling him Benedict Arnold. Zimri had betrayed his king and had become king, but he only ruled for seven days, and then he uh, was defeated, and he ended up killing himself. And so when she's like, she's like, Is it peace, you Zimri? What she's saying is, You traitor. You're going to be dead in a week. She says to him, Is it peace, you Zimri, murderer of your master? And Jehu lifted up his face to the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? Two, of, two or three eunuchs, those will be her servants, looked out at him, and he said to them, Throw her down. So they threw her down, and some of her blood... Sorry, this is a little grisly. Trigger warning. Her blood spattered on the wall and on the horses, and they trampled on her. Then he went in and ate and drank. Then he said, see now to this cursed woman and bury her, for she is a king's daughter. We can stop there. But you see what happened there? Okay. First order of business is, I'm going inside to the, the palace, and I am going to sit down at a meal, and I'm going to eat and drink. Do you feel the weight of what that communicates? That is a king who is taking his rest. Okay? That is what is happening at the end of Genesis 1. Right? When God says, the work is done. The battle is over. I have won. Everything is as it should be. I am entering my rest. A king who is entering his rest has just been crowned and is sitting on his throne and holding court. That's the rest that God is entering into. 
at the end of Genesis 1, after his, all of this dividing and ordering of the world. And he says to us, you are going to rest with me in that. Now do you see why this would be uh, an unsurprising command for a king to give to his people? Because what he's saying is, my kingship, I am giving it to you. My authority, I am investing it in you. You are going to be, uh, the word would be viceroy, right? A king who uh, has a, another lesser king under him who handles things on his behalf. Think about Joseph uh, in the book of Genesis with Pharaoh, where it says that you know, Pharaoh didn't think about anything. Joseph just handled everything for him. Pharaoh is the one in charge, but he gives all, he delegates all of this to Joseph. It's a delegated king. When God says, enter into my rest with me, it's coming like, I'm sitting on the throne and, and you are sitting here with me. And so now do you see the difference between these two commands and the reason. Right? You were slaves in Egypt and I have now given you rest. I have not just I have not just set you free so that now you can uh, do what you want. I have made you kings. I have taken you from slavery and made you kings. Enter into my rest. It's the, I mean, you know, throughout scripture, anytime it's talking about a king sitting on his throne, the word is, it's almost it's almost the same exact word as to, as to rest. To rest on the throne. To sit on the throne. This is what it is. This is about authority. This is about power. This is about uh, peace from your enemies. This is about having no enemies. This is about having everything be the way that it should be. So God's command to rest is nothing less than live like a king. Live like a queen. And how do you live on the day that you become the king? How do you live on the day that you become? How do you spend your time? We're the viceroy. So this command to enter into my rest is stop fighting. Stop striving. Stop uh, all your conflict. I, I mean, the thing that this keeps making me think of is my littlest kids. Um, there are four of them. Two of there are five of kids, but four of them are the littlest ones. There are two of them that are, two of them are four, and two of them are two. And oh boy, is there conflict. Oh boy, do they, do they wind each other up. They grab each other's toys, sitting at the dinner table, grabbing each other's plates, just getting near each other's faces, and just stop, get away from me, ah, daddy, get away, and then, you know, and then every once in a while, you have to be like, stop, everybody, stop. Okay, take a slow breath, and we go. And they're like a little chorus over there. <laughs> and they go, OK. 
you're a musician, that means really quiet. They know that from Little Einsteins. You know, and, and that's a little bit what God's command to, to rest on the Sabbath is. All of your striving, all of your fighting, all of your conflict, all of your worry, all of your anxiety, all of your stress, stop. Stop in your tracks. Let it go. Let it go. And remember that I am on the throne and you are seated with me. Remember that I have given you rest. I mean, and that's a little bit, as a parent, that's a little bit the frustration when your children are doing that because you're like, I'm taking care of it. Stop. I'm taking care of it. I'm getting the pasta. I'm getting the milk. Easy. Take it easy. You know, when they can remember that and we can go through that liturgy of... If I can get them to do that, it's like everything's going to be okay. And God knows that if we can take a day, a week, where we go, everybody stop. All of the things that make you worry, all of the things that make you strive, all of the things that make you anxious, all of the things that take up your time, all of the things that keep you from loving each other, all of the things that keep you from reading the Bible, all of the things that keep you from praying, stop them all. Stop. They're going to be there tomorrow. Remember that I'm the king and I'm giving my authority to you. Okay. The Sabbath. Now this is the thing that this, gets, this may get a little bit heady, okay? This may get a little bit nerdy. When God enters into his rest in, in Genesis 1, for him, everything is done. In a sense, God entering into his rest is the end. It's the end of the world. It's the end of time. So our week, and as he noticed, you know, we, today is, which day of the week is today? It, well, like number-wise. What? Eighth? What is it? One. Okay, yes. Today's the first day of the week on the calendar. Uh, God says take the... Take the seventh day to rest in this commandment. So we're resting on the first day of the week. We're taking the first day for the Sabbath. But God says to take the seventh. We're going to come back to that point. But when he makes this command, work six days and then rest on the seventh. What he's doing is he's taking, he's like, your week, in, in your week, you are going to rehearse all of human history in one week. You're going to take six days to do all of your work and then come to the end of it and rest. Just like you're going to do when the whole world is over. And we'll do it again next week, and next week, and next week. Work six days and then rest, work six days and then rest. We'll come back in a few minutes to why we, why we in the New Testament, uh, rest on the first day of the week. Um, but for now, just notice that, that, that what's happening in the Sabbath is that the end of the world is being celebrated. It's like God goes through his six days in heaven... And he sits in heaven. And it's over for him. And now we're still on earth. And we're still it's all ahead of us still. Um, 
but once a week he wants us to act as if we're at the end of the world. Once a week he wants to act as if the conflicts are all resolved. God was done and then he rested. Right? We don't really get to rest until we're done. And so once a week, God is asking us to live as if we're done. To me, I, to me, it's a little bit like time travel. It's like once a week we come to the end of the day and we jump forward to the end of the world for a day and then we go back and we keep going forward. See what I'm saying there? I, a little nerdy, but that's how I think of it. I'm kind of a nerd. Okay. So that's why this command is not surprising. It is, uh, it would be amazing, um, but it's not as strange uh, to them as it would be to us. So how do we live? What exactly is he commanding us to do? Uh, and I think that, you know, or how do you live when the world is ended and all the work is done? What is your life like at that moment? So I think we, we get a little bit into the weeds if, if we start by asking, well, what are the things that I'm allowed to do on the Sabbath? What's, what's permitted and what's not permitted? Um, you're missing the point. Is this kind of a game allowed and that kind of a game is not allowed? Is this activity allowed? Is that activity not allowed? What's allowed? What's not allowed? You, 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 really, you're missing the point. See, we live for his glory all the time. And on the day when he has given his rest, we live for his glory fully. On the day that he has given us rest, we live without fear. We live without anxiety. We live without stress. We live without competition. We live securely. We live generously and we live corporately. And that's one of the reasons we read that whole chapter uh, 15. It wasn't quite the whole chapter, but that big chunk, chapter 15 there of Deuteronomy. All of that, like, was that weird to you? Like, this is all about poverty and generosity. But punctuated throughout there, he keeps talking about the seventh, the seventh year, the seventh day, the rest. I have given you rest, so there's not going to be any poor among you. So here's how to treat the poor among you. Was that weird? Did you notice that? How he's like, at the beginning of it, he's like, I'm giving you this land, so there will not be any poor. And then at the end, he's like, there's always going to be poor, and here's how you treat them. How do you treat the poor when you know that you have been given rest? When you know that you are the king? When you know that everything is yours? The Sabbath is, it's not individual, it's corporate. It's something we do together. So if you're asking yourself the question, is this wrong to do on the Sabbath? It's not like that's a wrong question. You should be asking yourself that question. He says, don't do any work. He gives us a specific thing not to do. Don't do any work. And the reason he gives is so that we can worship him. So I, rather than talking about a list of things that we can and cannot do, rather we should be thinking about how should we think about what we do on Sundays. So the first question you might ask yourself is, does this activity keep you from gathering with God's people to worship? Because the Sabbath is corporate. It's not a thing you can do on your own. It's for the, all the people of God. So you've got this activity. Does it keep you from being here or at another church on Sunday? If it does, 
It's got to go. Right? If it does, you are still living as if uh, your salvation depends on you. You're still living as if all of the work depends on you. And there may be things that we have to cut out of our lives. Not because, see the thing is, it's not because that activity is wrong. And it's not even entirely because you need to be here so much, although you do. But it's because if you are, if you are letting a thing, an activity, uh, an endeavor, work, even recreation, keep you from gathering with the people of God, that's what you're worshiping. Right? You are refusing to sit down on the throne. You're like somebody saying, you can be the king. You're the, you, you, I'm making you the king. What are you going to do? Well, I'm going to watch football. There's nothing wrong with watching football. There may not be anything wrong with watching football on Sunday. But if it's a thing that keeps your attention, if it's a thing that ke- would keep you from being here, uh, maybe you've got to think about it. I had, uh, I had a game on my phone that I had to delete. Um, because it had these kind of daily achievements, and if you, 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 would, if you c- completed these things, you would get rewards in the game. And I found myself on Saturday nights going, okay, if I get up early, I can get that done before church. And, uh, and it was like consuming my thoughts on Sunday. And that was sin, and it had to go. Like, when I realized that that was happening, I realized, like, this is... This is consuming me. This has become not rest. Playing a game should be restful. This was not. You see that? Does it keep you from private worship on other days of the week? So what are the things? So if it's, if it's Thursday and you think, boy, I should pray. Oh, I can't. I've got to fill in the blank. Don't do that on Sunday. See that? Uh, how would you do you say about the thing I, oh, I, I, I have to do this today if, if, if there's something that you're doing on Sunday kind of other than being here that says I have to do this um, then that may be a thing that you want to give up that may be a thing that you shouldn't do on Sunday um, how would other people be affected if you skipped it how would you feel if you skipped it if you skipped it would you feel anxious if you skipped it would you feel like uh, something's wrong in my life. If that's the case, that may be a thing you would need to give up. Um, does doing it cause other people to feel stress or keep them from worship? Because right, look at that, part of the, a huge part of that command is, directed to, is directly spoken to people with power. Financial power, family power, Don't make your children work so that you can take the day off. Don't make your servants work so that you can take the day off. Don't make other people work so that you can relax. Because if you do it, this is one of the places we would derive the idea that people who have earthly authority have a responsibility to at least enable, if not lead, uh, the people who are under them in worship. Lead by example, lead by enabling. If you've got an activity in your life that would keep other people from resting and worshiping, um, then maybe you should cut that out on Sunday. So you can see how this is a command that needs to be given. 
Even though, like, hey, to te- you, you're telling me you're te- you have to tell me to take a day off? I would love to take a day off. Um, but there's, but there's a lot more to it than that, isn't there? Because if you go back to, to 2 Samuel 7, that passage about David and how God had given him rest, the thing that he's talking about with Nathan the prophet is, once he realizes that he has rest, he says, I want to build a temple for the Lord. Like once he has been given rest, his first thought is the worship of God. Right? And that again comes back to Genesis 1. It comes back to the way that when God is creating the world, he's creating this temple in which he's to be glorified. He's creating this temple in which his name is to be made great. And when we have been given rest, then we are free to do that. So, what is the Sabbath really? Or rather, where is the Sabbath? And when is the end of the world? See, the thing is, a, a, the fact is, a day off is not what we really need. Uh, I mean, some people don't work. Some people don't have jobs. Some people don't need jobs. Some people are independently wealthy. Uh, some people are retired. Uh, so it was is like they just, this command is now irrelevant to them because uh, they've already, they rest all the time. Well, pretty clearly not. Because the fact of the matter is, all of this stuff about work and rest and God's uh, pattern and creation and all of that is really, it's really about us and our sin. It's really not about our work to, to put food on the table. It's really about our striving to justify ourselves. So one of the last places I want to take you um, is Romans 10. And that is on, here we go. All right, that's on page 551. Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them, okay? Work six days, and then you can have this rest strive for all of human history and then at the end you can have rest god will reward you for your hard work with heaven with a throne based on his authority that's what the that's what the law says work six days and then rest the righteousness of the law says do this and you shall live Do the commandments and you shall live. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead you will be saved right you will be saved you will have rest you will have the throne not by working for six days first 
but God has come down and given it to you for free. And that is why we now order our week to rest on the first day instead of the seventh. Because what God has done for us in the gospel, what God has done for us with Jesus is he has flipped it over. He has said, I'm not going to require you to work six days and then earn the rest. I'm giving it to you now. Throughout the New Testament, they talk about the end of the world as if it is present. The picture that you get in the New Testament with the coming of Jesus is that the end of the world has arrived. When Jesus Christ was crucified and died, the world ended. The old world ended. The world in which you have to strive and fight and bite and scratch and claw in order to get to the place where you can finally rest is done. There was an apocalypse and it's over. And we are now told, take the first day in recognition of the fact that everything is being given to you. Don't, don't build up and worry about, can I get everything done in time for the Sabbath? But let the Sabbath come and go, stop. And step back, it's over. The new world has begun. And see, this is the shape that the gospel takes throughout the, all of Scripture. Because when we understand the gospel, it's not that we don't work, it's that... We receive what we need first, and then we can work. So, I mean, the interesting thing is that, that worldliness still tries to rob us from that. So we all, a minute ago, we said that, that today's the first day of the week. Sunday's the first day of the week. Which two days of the week are the weekend? Saturday and Sunday. See what's happening? We, we, we can't accept it. We don't want to accept the fact that we, that we get the rest for free on the front end. We don't want to shape our lives that way. We want to believe that we, gotta, we want to work for the weekend. No. Let the week beginning set you free. Right? Look at what he's saying here in Romans 10. Don't say, instead of... Instead of labor and then rest instead of you can keep the commandments so that you can live instead of that don't say uh, who will ascend don't say who will come down instead know that the word of God is with you and Jesus is here heaven is here this moment the future rest of God is invading the present. Heaven and earth are touching right now. Right now. As we are hearing his word, heaven and earth are touching. And in a minute, we're going to break that bread and heaven and earth will be touching. And Jesus is here for us to give us rest. Right? That, that passage from Matthew that we read. Like the, the Pharisees are trying to nitpick, oh, they, they were rubbing the grain together. That's, that's work on the Sabbath. How dare they violate the Sabbath that way? Jesus is like, I'm the Sabbath. I am the Sabbath. Being with me is the Sabbath. Uh, the priests in the Old Testament, they weren't violating the Sabbath because they were working. Just like, God bless you all, you're not violating the Sabbath when you're setting up curtains and sound equipment and greeting and making coffee and all of the stuff that we have to do here. We're not violating the Sabbath by doing that. We're, we're being with Jesus. 
Jesus is the Sabbath and he is here. Because the rest that we need, the rest that we need is not to put our feet up and get the blood to flow. The rest that we need is rest from our anxiety, rest from our stress, rest from our worry that we aren't good enough. Rest from our fear that God will, will send us away. He's saying, come now. And that's why I, I promised Catherine I would tell you this. Uh, the, I asked her to, to do that uh, song for Offertory, Come As You. I actually offered, asked her if we could sing it. And she's like, because I, I, what I want to do is we're going to sing it again. Uh, because I think that that song, Come As You Are, this rest for the weary, rest that endures, Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't cure. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. And heaven is here. This day of the week, God's future rest, God's glory, God's authority is invading this day. And he was giving it to us. Not to, not to nitpick about what we can and can't do, He's giving it to us so that we can be strengthened and fed and come and sit at his table with him in his court and eat his food and get strong. And tomorrow we can get out there and go forward. If you want to take, if you had this ability, I would love to see it. If you run your own business, what if instead of had taking Saturday and Sunday off so that everybody's thinking about working for the weekend, what if you could take Sunday and Monday off instead? What if you could do that? I know it's impossible. I know that's crazy. But, but think about how, we're, how we shape our week. Think about how uh, the way that we use time shapes the way that we think. Because we don't want to work for it. God is giving it to us. He is meeting us here to feed us and strengthen us. See, the, 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 the crazy thing is that if you, if you look at Hebrews chapter 4, where it's talking about the Sabbath, um, God says of, of people who refuse to enter his rest, he says, I swore that they will never enter my rest. The punishment for violating the fourth commandment is that you don't get to keep the fourth commandment. The discipline for not accepting the rest that God is giving us is that you don't get any rest. But he wants to give it, everything to us for free. And he has. In Christ Jesus, who is the Sabbath. So let's sing. Oh, let's pray. And then let's sing that song again. And then let's come and eat at his table. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for what you have given to us. Uh, we thank you for what you have promised to us. We thank you that we no longer have to strive. We no longer have to fear. We no longer have to worry. But you have given us a righteousness which is by faith. Which says that you have come to us through your word. You are near to us even in our mouth. In Jesus' name, amen.